Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for November 27th, 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me back on the show this Sunday, welcome back, Catherine Smith. Thank you for welcoming me back. I'm sorry I missed last week, and greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Yes. Um, well, and, and once again, thanks to Niles for filling in last week. Uh, but this week on the show, we have a, a guest um, 20 minutes into the podcast from the Washington Examiner. Barnini Chakraborty is going to come on, and Barnini's just covered so many campaigns directly this campaign season that we're going to ask her about a lot of those and, you know, how some of it affects politics moving forward. Um, but right off the bat, the Georgia runoff is the only, you know, statewide federal election still going um, in the country. So it once again, the Georgia is seemingly the center of the federal elections universe, and um, still continuing to make news on so many fronts. But Catherine, since you missed, you missed the Herschel Walker speech, or at least the comment, the chance to comment on it about. Herschel Walker saying that vampires are cool people and werewolves can kill a vampire and all kind of things like that. Um, Catherine, any thoughts on Herschel Walker, vampires, and werewolves? Oh, you know, just (laughs) horrifying. Uh, My friends from around the world, because, you know, my brother lives in Brazil. I've said that a number of times. My nephew lives in uh, Amsterdam, so I've heard from a lot of people, like, you know, what the heck is going on in Georgia after that comment. It's just, you know, I've said it before, the whole situation with uh, Herschel Walker makes me very sad. It makes me sad that I feel like he's being taken advantage of to some extent. And it makes me sad that the GOP thinks this is the best candidate for the for the U.S. Senate. So it's just sad, man. Yeah. For me. Yeah, and obviously, obviously, in some states, you you're such a situation you just try stuff. But being that Georgia is one of the most persuadable, closely contested states in the country, you have to wonder about the calculation that that Georgia made here. Um, But now let's talk about the fact that people are actually voting. And I think as we get more and more samples of early voting, we're going to be able to read more tea leaves and and gain more insight from that early voting. And we've had a little bit during the week – but a lot more over the weekend. And, Tim, uh, based on the lines and the numbers we've gotten reported and everything else, what's your take? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd like to start out by saying you didn't ask me about my take on werewolves and vampires, and for that I'm eternally grateful. Now, um, Well, we talked about it last week. (laughs) Me, you, and I, we talked about vampires and werewolves. Yeah. Yeah, but secondly, uh, um, the the Saturday early vote obviously was strongly Democratic yesterday, as uh, you know, some of the stuff we we sent each other. Uh, as mainly blue counties had their polls open uh, out of the twenty seven counties, it was like oh I don't know nineteen or twenty blue counties and seven or eight red counties. Uh, uh, the Secretary of State said at least 70,000 people voted. Of course, that number today jumped on over 80,000, and it appears that 
um, Democrats are really running up a huge lead with African Americans so far out voting, actually out voting uh, white voters, uh, young voters voting heavily. Um, the Generation Z voters, by the way, on the uh, social media are always saying, are already saying, "Don't worry." We're coming to Senator Warnock's rescue because, you know, David, we, we had expressed some concern about, like, uh, colleges and stuff being in finals this coming week. They said, no worries. We're getting out there and voting. I said, well, good. <laughs> we can we can use every vote we can get. I think, I really do, after considering the matter carefully, after the judges made their rulings, I think every county should have gone ahead in the state and set up early voting for Saturday and Sunday for all those counties that, that you know, wanted to do it, including the red counties. Because in these red counties, like in my county, where 80% of the vote would be probably for Herschel Walker, all the voters are sitting at home right now. That might cost him a few voters that would have voted, you know, on the weekend that can't vote through the week. What, what, what do you think? Do, don't, don't you think they made a mistake, these red counties did, by not opening up the vote? Well, on behalf of their voters, now the people that actually run the elections offices in each of the individual counties, you could have some counties that are um, majority Democratic that have more Republican-leaning officials and, and vice versa. But the thing is, is these counties, these election officials – they need to look at it like customer service. They don't need to look yeah. at it how you can game it for Republicans, how you can game it for Democrats. They need to look at it like, for them, they want but, to get sales. They want to give people the chance to vote. They want to have good customer okay. service. So but, that means opening but, up the hours more, Tim. But, but they're not. They're not. They actually are gaming it. You know, we're opposed to this. We do blah, 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 so well, we're not going the, uh. They're gaming against their own people. Right. You know, right. it's, it's, exactly it's kind of like, it, yeah, it, it, it's kind of like instead of uh, political parties, we, you know, half the people like Donald's and half the people like Burger King, and one opened up, you know, most of the time, and one state closed these hours and did this and that and the other and said you can't do order on the app and everything else. And the one that had more access is probably going to have more sales. And, mm-hmm. and we just live in a world where – and this is where I think a lot of the fact that the Republican Party's gotten a lot older and the Democratic Party's gotten a lot younger. You've got people who, you know, they send money through Venmo and Zelle and everything else. They order food on the app. They get DoorDash. They live around convenience, and they want everything. You know, you know. It's how how can I frictionless, you know, shopping and everything else. Well, in voting, if you add all this friction, you're going to cause problems for people. So you just can't look at it the same way. And you know what's funny is what does the Republican Party always say, Catherine? I'm going to run government like a business. Well, if you are running voting like a business. Wouldn't you be open? Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, <clears throat> also uh, um, uh, equality or equity uh, question. I mean, if I lived in a county that didn't have that, now I didn't take advantage of it. Um, I'm going to vote on Tuesday, not uh, this coming Tuesday, early vote. Um but I just don't think it's fair. Like, it seems to me that it should be a mandate. Like, you have to have – these. Are, it just feels more um, fair to me that every county has the same early voting days and times. Yeah. I, I, I don't know why I, do I feel agree like that. that. I don't, yeah. I agree but, with you, but I also think that they ought to look at how, how are we making sure that we have equal number of polling places per capita and equal number of uh, you know voting machines per capita. And, and they also need to equalize that because I'm sure if we looked at that, 
Um, there's a lot of highly populated counties that have fewer per person than smaller counties. Well, yeah, Jim? But, but Dave, oh, yeah. we, we, guys, we're talking about a party here that was actually going to stop any weekend early voting this weekend altogether because the dates of the voting came too close to Robert E. Lee's birthday. Now, I want yeah, to consider that. For me. I mean, this is what the kind of stuff we're dealing with. And, you know, they they were figuring, hey, let, let's vote less. Vote less and we win. That's the reason they're doing this stuff. Anything they can to win. And and that includes denying people, you know, a right to, to vote in a timely fashion. There's a lot of people can't vote any other time except on the weekend because of work or something. Uh, they talk to college kids that, you know, were just home for Thanksgiving and, and they're they're way off at college and, and and hadn't been able to get their absentee ballots on time from their counties and stuff, and they actually got to vote today only because they were at home and for no other reason. And the other party just does not seem to care about things like that. They're gaming the system to win. That's what they're doing. David, are you with us? Did we lose David? Yeah, guys, all there with me? Yeah. David, are you with us? Yes, I'm back. I I, I was talking away and just went away. Um, don't know what happened. But but I think uh, let's kind of talk about you know the Republicans. They have you're really spotty, David. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Um, but they've they're running this playbook that they ran you know successfully since 1992. But it seems like the electorate has changed a lot in that the voters that are the most motivated now are more Democratic voters. And so this playbook of the runoff elections, if Democrats win this, this may be a bad plan for Republicans to even want these runoffs. Um, What's your thoughts, Catherine? Well, do you think they want runoffs? No, that's what I'm saying. I thought they wanted them before. Well, they, I mean, they would rather be in a runoff than than lose, and runoffs helped them for so many years because it was easier for them to get their voters out to the polls. Oh, that's now, oh, seemingly, given the shift, it may be tougher to get their voters out. I see what you're saying. Um, well, yeah, I think um, – I don't think anybody really likes the runoffs, mainly because they're – you know, the counties don't like them because they're expensive. The parties don't like them because, it's, you know, they have to do all this extra work to get people back out to the polls. But I don't think anybody has the will or uh, outstanding idea about how to solve it, you know, like how to make – how to get rid of them, basically. Yeah, I'll tell you this. I watched, um, I think it's called Battleground Georgia now. It was the road to November, and that, you know, aged out. Um, And so uh, Brian Robinson, a Republican political consultant, I was shocked. He endorsed um, instant runoff voting like they're doing for military officials, uh, military personnel. And so this is a Republican endorsing the evil instant runoff voting. Um, Tim, I don't know if you saw that, uh, you know, interview or that panel with Brian Robinson, but I mean, could this, if the Republicans lose this, but then have control of the legislature, they have the power to change it. Will they? No, you know, I think really they are pressing in another direction and that is the direction of less poll time opens. I think they are pushing backward toward, you know, the polls being open on Election Day, uh, Mm -hmm. very limited access to absentee ballots, and that's what they're uh, pressing toward 
as their hold on the state becomes more tenuous. Remember that even in a year this year that should have been a great year for the Republicans, they actually lost two Georgia House seats. They lost two. Uh, they're, they're not making any major gains in this state anymore. They're having to redistrict heavily to maintain power or to gain anything. Uh, they are a shrinking plurality. I don't think they're a majority anymore trying to hold on to power. And I think the way they figure on doing that is to uh, is uh, less time for the polls to be open. I mean, uh, look, look at how little time we had for early voting for this race right here as opposed to two years ago in the, in the runoff. Uh, that that's that's what they're going to do. I think uh, instant instant run of I, I like that sort of thing, and most Democrats do, and that's why we ain't going to see it. <clears throat> yeah, and I think another thing is Georgia. The ballot almost always consists of three or less candidates, and so therefore it's not complex. I mean, you can't say that it's like the New York mayoral primary with fifteen candidates. Um, you, you know, I, I, I kind of get where that might be a little tricky for some, but three, three isn't tricky. I mean, if you if three is tricky to you, then you you you're in trouble um, from the get go. Well, if they now, wanted, if they uh, one one more question, if they wanted to do things say economically and quickly, why not rank choice voting? That that'd be perfect for for that sort. Isn't of that thing. the same thing? Yeah, I think it kind of ends up being pretty similar since it's because you you rank the choices and then it ends up being an instant runoff and you only rank in once again three unless yeah, some but other in party rank, can figure out how to get on there. Voting all and rank choice voting all candidates are together on the ballot, aren't they? You don't separate by party yeah. or anything. I, uh, I, I, I think you, yeah, because well, you then do a primary and yeah, that that gets a little trickier. Um, which you know, one step at a time. On things, and um, but I'm kind of thinking just just on the the federal, um, you know, ballot here. But I guess you know Alaska kind of provided a model, although the Republicans are up in arms about that. But that's because they need to blame Sarah Palin, not the system. Well, other states, um, because, other states do it too. You know, just just yeah. something. Well, New York, New York, Maine, other places, or New York City, I should say. Yeah. But um, now let's talk about the actual, you know, combatants in this in this race. I think we saw a lot of prognosticators are calling, you know, Raphael Warnock before any voting happened, um, you know, the slight favorite or the favorite. And then if we look at this early voting period and we look at the numbers that are coming out, it's kind of like the first quarter started and Raphael Warnock was picked as the favorite, and he's had a great first quarter. Um, Catherine. What can happen? What are the things that you know Senator Warnock needs to watch out for, or what could Herschel Walker do to switch this thing around in the you know next part of early voting into election day voting? Well, I think um, it's my opinion that I think uh, Senator Warnock needs to remain positive. I think that his Ads are very encouraging. You know, he's got the dog back. That's cute. Um, I was really surprised for the first time since I've lived in this apartment complex. I had two canvassers come to my door, one yesterday and one today. Uh, They were definitely uh, working for Warnock. I don't know what organization they were from or if they were from the same organization, but they just asked me if I had a plan to vote and and you know what and they asked me my opinion. The first one asked me my view of Warnock and I said I was a supporter and that I was planning on voting for him. And then the second one when he came I said, Yeah, I'm voting, I'm voting for Warnock, I'm well set. <laughs> so I, I didn't wait for him to ask, but he was happy to hear that. So um so I think those kind of um that kind of activity is good. I mean, I've, that's for, like I said, it's the first time any canvasser has ever come to my door here. I'm actually surprised because I don't know how they got in, but I'm not going <laughs> to complain about it. 
Yeah. Well, but, I mean, so I, guess I think, that, you know. But... I think that kind of stuff yeah. is really good, and it's really important. Yeah. Well, I want to go ahead and switch gears. We have on the line our guest for this evening from the Washington Examiner joining us for, I want to say, about the third time, Barnini Chakraborty. Welcome, Barnini. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to hear be back with you guys. Yes, good to have you back. Well, we know by reading um, all of your um, co- all of your articles um, this campaign season, you have been all over. Uh, but I want to start out where where you were on election night. Every political <laughs> reporter across the country is covering all these campaigns, and you got sent to a fitness club. Um, I tell us about that, that in Pennsylvania. I'm, I did get sent to a fitness club, and it was for uh, the Senate race in Pennsylvania. It was Democrat John Fetterman, who's the lieutenant governor there, and he was kind of he was um, up against Dr. Oz, who is this political newcomer. He kind of entered the race with this celebrity swagger and. Trump endorsement, so it really was an eye-opening experience. Um, I I went on the campaign trail with him actually a couple of days before, and specifically to rural Pennsylvania to hear what he had to say and to speak to those voters out there. And um, I have to tell you, there were a lot more Trump signs and Trump people there, and they you know than there were for. Dr. Oz, but on election night, as you said, uh, we, all of the media from all over the world, I think the BBC was there, I think people from India were there, it was just all over the place, people were coming to Dr. Oz's election party, and that was in a sports complex uh, that they did not seem to tell the people who were members of that sports complex. And so it was like, it was this really crazy scene because you walked in and there was like these 12 year old girls at soccer practice and they had no idea why people dressed like head to toe and Trump here were there. Um, And then, you know, we went in and then when we came back out, uh, you had these like sort of guys and girls, you know, doing weights and all of a sudden there was like death metal music going on and then there was. You know, music change. It was, it was, it was something. It was, it was definitely something. Yes, Bernini, I've been to so many campaign parties, and in some in some unusual locations or campaign events, that one may have taken the cake because I, I saw your postings on Twitter uh, from the, the, you know, the CrossFit gym. I didn't see any of the soccer, but that was something interesting. Now you mentioned that you were up there in a lot of rural areas. And I found that Pennsylvania race so interesting because you had a Brooks Brothers Republican versus a Carhartt Democrat. You had – because in recent years, there's this cultural um, you know, caricature or stereotype of each party, and they run against each other. But in this case, the personas of each man switched. With the political parties that we're used to in recent cycles, how did a lot of those Pennsylvania voters that you talked to and heard about, how did they react to these two personal personalities and political um, positions? Well, I think a lot of voters in rural Pennsylvania, they were Republican anyway, right? So they, um, when, I, when I spoke to them, they were much more against Fetterman than they were for Oz. And the only thing that had them going for Oz was Trump. And these were people like that. But it, there, there were very few people that I spoke to there that were actually standing behind Oz because he was the better candidate or that's what they thought. Um, it was more of a race between Fetterman and Trump, to be quite honest. Uh, and I think, you know, Dr. Oz was his conduit. Yes. Now, just speculation. Do you think right. that Kathy Barnett or uh, Dave, um, and I forgot Connecticut, uh, Dave McCormick would have done better in the general election against John Fetterman? I do. I do think so. I think with Dr. Oz, he had a lot of things going against him. Uh, he was, you know, he was an outsider. 
he had lived in New Jersey most of the time. Uh, he he didn't know and he couldn't relate to a lot of blue collar uh, voters in in Pennsylvania. And so there was always this sort of well, we like him because he's you know he's affiliated with Trump, but he isn't really he doesn't really you know talk about our needs or and he can't be a good champion for them. So I do think the other candidates would have fared better. Yes, which I find so ironic because I don't think Donald Trump is any more detached in a personality and style than Dr. Oz is. They kind of are cut from the same, you know, um, city cloth, if you will. Well, let me ask you one more thing about Pennsylvania, and then I'm going to pass it over to Catherine and Kim for other questions, and that is the governor's race. I know you were there to cover more of the Senate race, but I'm sure you heard about the governor's race as well. A lot of these base Republican voters had a person that was more like them, and while I would think he would really excite the base, the weak or uh, soft Republican voter, and certainly independents, he probably scared the fool of, and I'm talking about Doug Mastriano. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I do think that they were – really kind of a because towards the end he was really just getting very very um he was alienating actually a lot of voters that were there and a lot of voters and a lot of moderates that were there and i think that towards the end they just kind of couldn't go the distance that he wanted to go when it came to election integrity when it came to trump and all of those things i mean it was a little too far right for a lot of the moderates that were there. At least that's what we saw when we were there. Yes. Well, I'm going to pass it on to Catherine. who will pass it to Kim, and if there's something they don't cover, I may have to jump in. Catherine? Yes, sir. Bring it on. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Um, Thanks, Catherine. I, uh, I read your piece about Mike Lindell and the RNC <laughs> And I just want like, do we do we believe that the RNC is sort of in disarray at this point? Are they are they doing any um, sort of evaluation of their uh, performance in the midterms? I think a lot of people were surprised by it. And is, do you think Mike Lindell's the solution? Uh, I don't think Mike Lindell is a solution, um, and I, I don't think a lot of Republicans think Mike Lindell is the solution unless it's, like, the solution to sleep or something. But, you know, there, there is a very real identity crisis going on in the Republican Party, and I think that we saw that in so many races play out. We saw in Arizona and Pennsylvania, Alaska, and it doesn't seem like they know who they are, and it, and they should really kind of take this moment and get the feedback from voters and try to figure out the path forward, because right now they're so splintered, and it's just kind of they're coming, they're fighting each other, and it's just, I mean, it's disastrous, as we saw in the midterm elections. Yeah, well, I just feel like um, the problem is, is that they're so... Um, they're so beholden to their base that the they're they're pre, it's pretty much a a primary uh party right like everything happens for them in the primaries, which used to be the way it was for Democrats in some places um, so how do they solve that i mean that's a difficult problem to solve if you if you know that your diehards are you know a little bit you know, pardon the term a little bit wackadoodle <laughs> um, and we'll vote for these, you know, sort of extreme candidates and we'll come out and vote for them. Right. But your, well, the rest of your party may or may not, then, you know, what's the, it's just, it, it seems like an awfully complicated problem to solve to me. Well, I think that they do have to turn away from embracing these really 
you know, far-right candidates because it hasn't done well for them, even though they might have won in their primaries. I mean, they lost big time across the entire country. And so to me it would seem that the problem is get more moderate candidates versus the Carrie Lakes and the Mark Finchens and, you know, I mean, even Dr. Oz. I mean, even though he wasn't that as bad as the other two. But, I mean, they do. They have to really think about, how they're going to approach this because yes they do have a very conservative base that does embrace people like Carrie Lake and Mark Fincham but that's not going to help them in the general election it really isn't and and so they have to have a excuse they do have to have like a come to Jesus moment with themselves and within the party or else it's going to be disastrous yeah I I agree and I just wonder if they'll be able to do that Um, and what does that make and if they can't, what does that make this upcoming uh, presidential election look like? Are we going to have, you know, a bunch of a, a, a strange combination of? Well, we did last time actually. Yeah. Well, the last time we had an open one. I mean, not, but I mean, we had when we had the big, the big race in 2016. It was kind of a mixed bag of. Um, well, it's all very interesting, and I appreciated your. Uh, commentary on it and thank you for that and now I'm going to pass it to Tim thanks so much oh awesome it was nice speaking with you hey good evening and thank you for being with us again um thank you for having me yeah I want to go way up north Donald Trump won Alaska in 2020 by 10 points Lisa Murkowski just won re-election to the U.S. Senate over another Republican, actually, with the ranked choice system they have. Mike Dunleavy mm-hmm. ran up so many votes that they did not even have to employ the ranked choice system. In his race, he just won it outright. And then we get to the at-large U.S. House race. And for the second time this year, a Native American Democrat beat two of the biggest names historically in Alaska Republican politics in Palin and Begich. What happened in that race that was so different from the other races that Republicans dominated there? I think in that race, I think it's both the strength of uh, Mary Paltola, who is the Native American, uh, versus Sarah Palin and a lot of the other Republicans. And it kind of goes back to what Catherine was saying, is that nobody was, um, you know, there wasn't really a cohesive, this is Republicans. I mean, there were so many different types of candidates that were voting, and the Democrats seemed to be better gelled. And then you also have people like, Sarah Palin, who kept going on and on and on about how the election was unfair and how this was like, she, I believe she called the uh, ranked voting system that all Alaskans voted for um, a big cockamamie, um, you, you know, that, and she said it was open to fraud. And I think people are just sick of it. I, I really do. And especially in those cases. And I, and I think that uh, voters there are just tired of Palin. But when it comes to Lisa Murkowski, that was really a a race between her and Donald Trump. Um, Kelly Shibaka was a Trump diehard. He came to Alaska twice to uh, to rally for her. And really, Lisa Murkowski, uh, she looked a little bit vulnerable. And then the more Trump came, the less vulnerable she looked. Um, but but Alaska is fascinating, and I don't. I think it's Placed by a different set of rules than the rest of the United States. Um, and then, you know, you, you do have that new ranked voting system, and so it, it allows voters not to be hamstrung to their specific party. So under the system, they could vote for a Republican, they could vote for a Democrat, they could vote, you know, and so they, they weren't totally tied to, Republicans weren't totally tied to, you know, a Sarah Palin. And people like that, and it gave them more freedom. And I think that's why you saw such a difference there. 
I mean, mm-hmm. Lisa, Mur- Lisa Murkowski had a, a target on her back. I mean, Trump was out to get her. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, by, Mitch McConnell kind of came to her aid, and his, uh, his super PAC forked over $5 million, and then the Alaskan Republican Party censured him. So mm-hmm. it's just, I mean, it, it's kind of the sort of wild frontier there when it comes to politics. Hmm. You know, 14 years ago, mm-hmm. Sarah Palin was viewed as, I suppose for lack of a better term, I'd say rock star. She had achieved that type of status in the Republican Party. And now she's down to where she is now. Is she finished? I think people are getting tired of her because she is not bringing a new message. And she mm-hmm. seems to have, you know, there's no real, you know, there's no real topic that she gets behind. There's no real push. And so it just seems like she's looking for a place to kind of fit in. And voters want more. I mean, yeah, she might have been great when she was running for vice president, but what has she done for Alaska? Not a lot. Mm-hmm. And she, um, and as you said, she's like she's more interested. It seems like, um, you know, getting on television. I mean, wasn't she in the Mass Singer? Do you remember that mm-hmm. show? They, yeah. She, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that was our vice presidential pick. Yeah, I've I've tried to forget it, but I, I do recall <laughs> it. Uh, okay, well, you you've written about another interesting candidate as a matter of fact several articles about the u.s senate race here in georgia Mm. and uh we know that herschel walker has been charitably put here a a a very controversial candidate is he so controversial that he has now become more the issue than, say, the incumbent Senator Warnock's votes in Congress. Is Herschel Walker now the issue in this campaign? I I think so, to be, to be quite honest. It is, it is baffling to me how that race is playing out. I think it's mm-hmm. baffling to a lot of folks. I mean, it just, you know, I did this profile on Senator Warnock, and – it championed all of these causes that he got behind, and then it was time to do one on Herschel Walker. And mm-hmm. it was a very different experience, I can say. Um, <laughs> and I'm, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to come down to Georgia this week, and I'm supposed to go uh, and meet with Herschel Walker and go to some of his campaign events. So I, I, I will tell you how that goes once I'm finished. But it is... Um, yeah, there's something in the water <laughs> in Georgia. You guys, you, you should explain it to me because I don't know what's happening down there. Yeah, well, I've, I've 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 lived here since the 1950s, and I've yet to figure it out. But if I do, <laughs> I will be I will be glad to let you in on it. Okay, you work yes. for a Washington-based publication. In that role, I'm sure you hear a lot of the goings on in the nation's capital. And my question here is, will Kevin McCarthy be able to herd enough cats to become Speaker of the House in January? I think so. I think I think everybody does that. I, I think that everybody knows that he is. They're, they're putting up a fight now uh, and to show that it is competitive. But I think once January rolls around, he'll have enough votes lined up. I mean, he's made enough deals with enough people to, you know, get him. didn't he do one with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene? He right? did, He jumped yes. on, he jumped yes, on he board with her. him. And then and that got Mark Matt Gates Gates really had upset, a fit. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I just wondered because his, you know, he doesn't have many votes to play with. At best, I'd say he's going to have what two hundred and twenty-two in his caucus, and uh, you got to have what two eighteen to win. I just wondered if he would be able to hold on. 
uh, and do it. I, I do believe he will, and that is kind of what people are saying, that you know, there may be some challenges, and there are some challenges, but in the end, I think that most people think that he will prevail, and he has made okay. enough of those deals that he will. I, I think right now okay. it's a little bit of show. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, have, I have one final question, and I'll throw it back to David. You made some allusion to this tonight, but Donald Trump, by any measurement, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, was a big loser on November the 8th. And yet, <laughs> he still has an almost 80% approval rating among Republican voters. Why is there such a disconnect between his preferred candidates and apparently him, who by any measure I could think of is probably the front runner for the Republican nomination again in 2024? Why is there that disconnect? There is something about Donald Trump everywhere I went, even when his candidates like Carrie Lake. Um, when they bombed in Arizona, I mean, people people love him. He's got something. He speaks to, you know, the rural voters. He speaks to, you know, young folks trying to come up. I mean, and also the appeal of Donald Trump is that regardless of whether he believes it or not or plans to do it or not, he will make promises constantly to everyone about everything regarding, you know, Anything he'll he'll be on your side and he'll promise you this and people love it and people love love the fact that he's you know when I was in Pennsylvania I mean people acted like he was royalty there were you know they loved him this woman had a tattoo on each of her breasts that was so weird and it was just a <laughs> Donald Trump and it was like wow okay all right <laughs> and she was a school teacher it was nuts. Um, so there is something that resonates every time he talks to folks. Um, you know, when he was speaking in Iowa a few weeks ago, it was like 30 degrees, and he came out, and, you know, there were you know, all kinds of folks there. There were all kinds of demographics. I mean, people were really cold on that tarmac waiting for him to, you know, park his plane and come out and talk for a few minutes. But they all believed that he speaks to them. And they believe that he does not speak down to them and that he is going to champion their cause. And it's very easy to do, and it's very easy to think that when he keeps telling you and making these promises that, quite frankly, don't really ever come true. But people need Mm -hmm. to hear that, and people need to be soothed by that. And people think that he is a champion fighting for them. And whether or not that translates to you know, it actually happening, you know, but, but it is, it is very weird. People are so willing to give him so many chances. It's, uh, it's baffling. <laughs> and on that interesting note, I believe I'm going to pass it back to David. Thank you for being okay. on with us tonight. David? Of course. Thank you. Yes, Bonnie, for a minute, I felt sorry for you for having to be <laughs> exposed to the Trump breast tattoos. But then you told me she's a teacher, and now I'm too, I feel too bad for the students. You know, you're right? an adult that I guess got, at least got paid right? for that. It's I, crazy, and she had taken the day off to come to a rally. It was just, it was, yeah, there were so many questions, and she was, yeah. Yeah. That was fun. If anybody was, uh, ever wanted to get tattooing banned, it sounds like those tattoos might be exhibit A in your case. Um, <laughs> let's talk about something maybe just as bizarre but maybe somewhat more serious. And and this relates to the Herschel Walker um Raphael Warnock race, but it also was you know, really relates to the Republicans nationwide since the election. Um there was a video that was found today where Herschel Walker pretty much wanted to disenfranchise voters under 30. Um, anybody born since 1990, I think, as he said, so that'd be under 32. Um, but Republicans seemingly have gone to war against voters, you know, under 32, under 30, what have you. And of course, those voters have been very turned off by the Republican Party. Um, right. What do you make of this strategy in which you just basically just dismiss 
a whole group of voters that is going to do nothing but grow and vote more as time goes on. I mean, it's a horrible strategy, right? Like if you look at it down the road, I mean, you need to get these voters really energized about the elections that are coming up, about the, you know, 2024 elections that are coming up. And I don't understand why they're doing that. Perhaps it's because they're trying to get older voters out and trying to appeal to them. But it is sort of puzzling as to why they are doing that. Um, you know, I, I know the Democrats are doing sort of the opposite. And they're, they're appealing to as many young voters as they possibly can to try to get them to go back to the polls. And it's really this fight between older voters and younger voters now, right? And how it kind of, I don't think that it's doing Republicans any um, good to kind of go after voters that are under 30. I think it is a very bad strategy, and, that, and I also think that's going to backfire. Um, yeah, uh, we, we know the Democrats aren't doing that. They're actually going after the younger vote and hoping that they come out in mass. Yes, and more importantly, they don't attack older voters. You right. know, that they don't say, oh, well, you know, you're, you get too old to vote. I mean, you know, the, the, the oldest member of our democracy seemingly or most famous old member of our democracy is the president. Um, and obviously we're not saying people age out of anything in democracy. So it's, it's just a strange, strange strategy that is just not a political winner. I think it may be a winner on like Fox News to, to get more people angry to watch more. But the RNC needs to figure out that their viewership numbers of Fox News is not electoral success, and they've got right. to figure out some um, way to separate there. Well, Bernie, we know we're excited to hear you come into Georgia. If you get close, you've got to let us know. But if people want to read these articles, you can tell them how to get to um, you know, the Washington Examiner, follow you on social media. Of course, make sure that um, – not confused with the less famous Barnini on social media that I was hearing about. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was, it, it's amazing. This poor girl has the same name, and she's in India. And so when I worked at Fox, I worked at Fox for about um, a little more than a decade, and all of the hate mail would go to her. And so we would get this, you know, and so she'd be like, what the heck? What is going on? Like, can you change your name? I'm like, no. Can you change yours? But she did. She would just get, like, all of these emails. And, I mean, we're talking, you know, with Fox, there's no real middle ground. So if people are going to write you hate mail, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be pretty pretty brutal. And this poor girl's like, I'm just trying to get a start. And I, I think she, you know, is trying to get a start in the music business and is also a journalist. And so, yeah, yeah, so. Who knew the other Barnini chocolate boardies? Yes. We can only imagine um, Tucker Carlton's pain out there. Well, seriously, tell us how to read your um, writings, both, like yes, I said, sir. social media and um, Washington yes, Examiner. Yes, sir. Um, so you can actually just go on to Washington Examiner, and you'll see uh, my stories. Or you can go to Twitter, and it's at Barnini, which is the first name, B-A-R. N-I-N-I. Yes. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and keep up the good work, and hopefully we can get you back on in the future um, as we gear up for the next set of elections. Yes, you guys are great. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so you. much. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. All right. That was Barnini Chirboti um, of the Washington Examiner. And so um, let's kind of – pick up on something that Barnini mentioned, and I think, Catherine, I think you asked her about, was that RNC um, chairs race. Now, um, if we just look at uh, Ron McDaniel or Ron, Rona Romney, you know, she changes names, obviously, to get away from her family, the Romneys, um, seemingly, that's uh, why she dropped the Romney off her name, um, she has not had a winning record. I don't know that she's the 
total problem by any means. There's somebody else that kind of has controlled the Republican brand. But 2018, they lost the House, um, lost some governor's races, and then in 2020, they lost the presidency and lost the U.S. Senate. And then in 2022, if all goes well, the Democrats will expand um, their Senate majority, pick up a few more governorships, and even pick up some state legislatures, which Democrats haven't done in a while. This is not a good track record, so we can just look at her in isolation before we talk about anybody else. Um, Catherine, if you were the RNC, would you be looking to sign up for another cycle of Rona Romney to Daniel? No, I think she needs – I don't know what – I honestly don't know what they – what's the best move for them. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure from the Trump people to get someone like Mike Lindell or, you know, in that vein. But if anybody's looking at a at the bigger picture, which I, I'm sure someone is, that seems to be a path of uh, defeat uh, as, as we look at the midterm results. So, um, but yeah, I think they need to do something different. I, I'm just, I mean, I don't know enough about the leadership in the Republican Party to know, you know, outside of elected officials to know who would be appropriate or helpful. Yeah, and, and actually, to make matters worse, if I'm not mistaken, she's from Michigan, which uh, that pr- probably was the worst Republican state. Um, you know, just a few weeks ago. Um, so that, that yeah. really is not good for your home state to be the the big loss. Tim, in addition to them wanting to move on, um, how much punishment does one sign up for? Well, that's that's a good question. You know, I saw our friend, uh, the friend of the kudzu vine, uh, Matthew Dowd on TV the other night. He said, you know, Ronald McDaniel has been the head of the RNC since 2017. She hadn't won any elections. Well, that should be the first thing to measure a a national party chair by. There's only two things. Are they raising a lot of money, and are they winning elections? Well, at best, she's, you know, batting 500, and batting 500 in that job is not very good. When she took over the office, the Republicans were in total power in the United States. And during her tenure, they lost uh, the U.S. House in 2018. Then they lost the Senate and the presidency in 2020. This year, in what was supposed to have been a big year for them, well, you just laid that out. It turned into a... Not a huge disaster, but a mini disaster. Uh, I mean, when they're expecting to pick up 30 seats in the House and and they barely, barely win enough seats to gain control. And and if Reverend Warnock wins, they'll actually lose the seat in the U.S. Senate. And they, they didn't really do very well in the governorships across the country and other statewide officials. And so why does she stay? Why why does she keep the job? And there's the first part of that, is is that question just hanging there. Why should she continue in that job with her track record? And I'll let you take up the second part of that now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who's going to be her backer. Like, I mean, you know, does Mitch McConnell uh, back her, which, of course, after what happened with, um, you know, the big coup that was going to take Mitch McConnell out of leadership and got 11 voters or 11, you know, senators for it, um, you kind of think, well, that's, uh, you know, that might be somebody that could salvage her career. Um, the way she's treated the Romney name, I don't know that um, Mitt Romney would come to rescue, and then also I don't know how much sway he has. So that's going to be big for Big Step is who – wants to keep her in that position. I know that, you know, Donald Trump does not dislike her because I guess she let 
him, you know, handle the fundraising in the which in a manner that helped the Trump organization. Um, so if he doesn't turn over, turn on her, that could help. But if he's like opens it up for somebody like a Michael Lindell or another more vociferous election denier, then could a more establishment figure either a try to save her or b introduce a different person, um, and, and then that could be a you know a proxy war for what happens um, in 2024. Um, so let's I guess talk about Mike Lindell. Um, Catherine, you read Bardini's article. You may be the most versed on uh, what Mike Lindell is planning, um, and I probably use the word plan and Mike Lindell a little too loosely, but um, what do you think about um, the Pelo Master? Well, you know, <laughs> well, he, he talks about, in, in one of his quotes was that, you know, the party should be run like a business. Well, if his commercials on TV are any uh, sign of how his business is doing, then he might not be the best choice because uh, he's talking about, you know, closeouts and, you know, overstock and all these people that are after him, you know, ruining his business. Um, I don't – I mean, he sells pillows. How does that – Relate to like organizing a political party. I don't know, you know. Uh, but we'll see how uh, how he's received and and how he goes up against uh, what's her name, McDaniel. And I'm sure other people will crop up before this is over. Yeah, I mean, Tim, uh, what's your take? Is it is it? Are they, do they want a high-profile person like Mike Lindell, or um, you know, what are the options? Or has it broke, been broken down fully? I I thought of another angle here. I am not picturing Mike Lindell sitting around in his my pillow office or wherever it is he holds court and coming up with this idea on his own. Oh. Uh, I do not for one minute believe that Lindell thought this up on his own, as a matter of fact. And there is no way, in in my way of thinking at least, that he would have come up with this without Donald Trump's knowledge. And with Donald Trump's knowledge, it would have to include Donald Trump's approval or Donald Trump would be happy to tell him he was not happy with him. So why? What is Donald Trump's angle? Now, if there's one thing that she has been, it is strongly pro-Trump. Right. So why would Donald Trump, be promoting Mike Lindell to run against her, why would he want her out or would he want her out or what is the angle? Because Donald Trump has got to be in the middle of this somewhere if Mike Lindell is involved in it. Or or am I just taking wild guesses here? Yeah, I mean, it seems like that, you know, Donald Trump would be involved since it is, you know, firmly in that Election denier camp. I wonder if Carly Lake, uh, I'm sorry, Carrie Lake is involved somehow. I could actually see her being um, the face of something like this because she is probably a little better on TV than him. Um, she's a pretty outrageous. She fits that model of, you know, the failed candidate that was close, like Jamie Harrison was for Democrats. Um, yeah. You know, who's now the DNC chair. So, um, I, I think there's more shoes to drop, and this is a, a story in which we may discuss it again. It would be interesting to find out more from somebody that's actually in the inner workings of the RNC to, to see where this might go. Um, but we want to thank Bardini Charcobody uh, for coming on the show tonight, and then next week I'm going to –
let everybody know that Simon Rosenberg has agreed to be on the show. And if you followed Twitter before the election, there were a few positive voices for the chances of Democrats that gave actual reasons why the Democrats might defy the odds. And maybe the loudest voice was that of Simon Rosenberg. Um, And so we're going to have him as a guest on the show next week. But until then, been the Cozy Vine. Good night, night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic experience.